Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we continue our breakdown of the 2022 NFL Draft. We've got two more of these episodes where we're looking around the NFL, and today... Ben and I are going to focus in on the NFC and AFC West. So we've got eight teams to cover here in Draft Buzz. We'll do it right at the top of the show. Again, Ben Fennell and I breaking down those eight teams and just looking at some of the picks that stood out to us throughout the course of the entire draft, not just in round one or round two, but from rounds one through seven. We're going to take a look at all the different picks that stood out to us for a number of different ways. And then we'll get into a couple questions from you at home in our draft mailbag. But first, the best way to reach us is to go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It's the best way to reach us it's the best way to throw us your support so if you've been listening to the podcast throughout the course of draft season and you want to send us thank you that's the best way to do it if you've got a question if you want a topic covered here in the next few weeks before we start getting into our previews for 2023 that is the place to do it appreciate everybody that has thrown us your support and again appreciate that so so much that said let's get to the top of the show excited to start things off with ben fennel in draft buzz now it's time for draft buzz All right, excited to get started here on uh, Draft Buzz with Ben Fennell. And Ben, uh, we're taking a look at eight more teams here today, NFC West, AFC West. And we'll start with a team that uh, initially did not have a top 10 pick in the draft. And then after a trade of their star quarterback resulted in getting them back a top 10 pick in this draft, that's the Seattle Seahawks, who spent the ninth overall pick on left tackle Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Uh, He is their top selection. At the end of the day, like he was the third tackle, so it's not like they picked between him and Aquanu and Neal, but at the end of the day, why do you feel like he was the pick for Seattle at number nine? Well, they're in a clear rebuild. You know, no Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Dwayne Brown gone. We need to start adding some cornerstone pieces to this roster, and what better way to do that than a, a franchise left tackle? This is a team that has a variety of needs at a, you know both sides of the ball and all sorts of positions, so I think addressing the trenches in this rebuild is really important. So I think, uh, you know, adding to the offensive line and maybe figuring out that quarterback position in year two, year three of the rebuild is the way to go. But Charles Cross, high-level prospect, I think he's going to be a really nice kind of backside left tackle uh, for a number of years. Yeah, and Charles Cross at left tackle. They drafted Abe Lucas in the third round. He has been a four-year starter at right tackle at Washington State. So uh, two guys that came from very heavy pass-heavy offenses going to what we most what most would say is going to be a run-first offensive attack now with Russell Wilson out the door. I think that that alone is interesting. I will say this about the about Charles Cross. You and I both studied Cross from early in his career, pre-Mike Leach, and he was obviously recruited to play in a different system and played in a different system as a true freshman. Uh, but this is a guy that has that ability to be hand in the dirt, get you off the line of scrimmage. You know, he could he could push people around. He's got a, there is a toughness element to him, so he's not just like your typical air raid tackle. Just something to watch there uh, for him as he transitions into this new system. Let's now get to the next pick here. The draft pick that made you go, huh? We've done this in the past with like our mock draft roundups with people's mock drafts, Ben. So which pick surprised you? Is there, is there, and surprise could be a number of different things. Uh, is there one that kind of stood out to you? He's like, oh, that one was a little bit surprising. You know, not necessarily the area of the draft that he went, but just based on their positional needs. I was surprised to see them take Kenneth Walker in the second round, Hmm. you know, with Rashad Penny, the former first round pick, Chris Carson is still there in that stable. They like involving the Travis Homer. I just didn't think running back in round two 
would be the priority there. But Kenneth Walker, I expected somebody to take him on early day two. He's going to be a really nice player for somebody for a number of years. I think he's one of the better combo backs in this class, probably a more well-rounded skill set than those three running backs I had mentioned. So, you know, it was just a bit of a shock when the pick came down. I thought they were going to go another area, maybe defensive line there, maybe edge rusher, um, you know, maybe offensive line again, maybe even quarterback there with that round two pick. I just wasn't thinking running back at the time as much as I think that's a great value pick for Kenneth Walker. Yeah, Walker will be interesting. You know, Chris Carson, it sounds like uh, the injury bug has just gotten to be too much with him. And, and so, unfortunately, that's that seems to be the case. But, uh, I mean, Penny, like you mentioned, I mean, he caught a lot of steam down the stretch last year. And so uh, there was hope. They brought him back. There was hope that they, he'd be able to kind of ride that momentum uh, into a successful 2022. But if you're going to take Kenneth Walker in the, in the top 42 uh, of this draft, my guess is, is he's going to be the guy for them uh, early on. I also just thought, you know, them moving on from Bobby Wagner, that round two there, there was a lot of linebackers on the mm. board, nearly all of them to be had. So I just thought there was that captain quarterback of the defense, 10 year linebacker on the board for them that they were going to address in this rebuild, just like the left tackle. They kind of did an okie doke on me and went running back, but uh, I hope it works out for everybody. All right, well, let's get to uh, to day three. Is there a guy that you think has the chance to play the most snaps? Who do you feel like really kind of has that that chance to have an early impact for this group on early day three? I'm glad they took Bo Melton in the seventh round. He's a guy that I think was a really productive player at Rutgers, had a really nice week down at the senior bowl, quietly good tester. I think he's going to be all over that slot receiver role. And I know you may say, well, what about Tyler Lockett? That really isn't Tyler Lockett's MO. He wins down the field, wins outside the numbers, can win over the middle, but really not this true and true slot presence. So I think you have DK, you have Tyler Lockett in there. I think Bo Melton can really win that third receiver job. I see, you know, Freddie Swain on the roster, D. Eskridge, who they took in the second round last year, much more of a gadgety type of player. But I think Derek Young, who also they took in the seventh round out of Lenore Ryan, is going to be more of a gadgety type of backfield slot back type of presence. I think Bo Melton is a true through and through slot receiver, is going to catch a lot of balls from Drew Locke or Geno Smith or somebody else on third down. Early on day three, their first two picks were Kobe Bryant, the corner from Cincinnati, and then Tariq Woolen, the corner from UTSA. I think Woolen will take some time uh, before he's like ready to play, but I feel like Kobe Bryant is a guy that could come in and compete for early playing time. So that would be someone to watch there in that Seattle secondary. And then just big picture, uh, this is a team that uh, really when you look at the way – this is a little – and they'll, they'll never say this publicly – but obviously, well, look, when you trade your franchise quarterback, you're you're retooling a little bit. It might be on the fly. It might not be a full teardown rebuild, but you're you're trying to, you know, kind of boost up uh, everything around you. They got a bunch of picks back from Denver. Uh, they made some trades here in this draft and acquired a whole bunch of, of capital. So I think when you look at the amount of picks they made, offensive tackle, edge rusher, offensive tackle, corner, corner, edge rusher, wide receiver, wide receiver, priority positions, right? So uh, that's just something to watch there. Uh, with this team and they're always going to be focusing on traits. You know, there was uh, all the talk with them and what they look at from an athletic threshold, the body typing that all comes from green Bay, John Schneider and the Ron Wolf tree. Uh, So all of that will still be in play for Seattle moving forward. Let's now move to the next team here. And that's the Arizona Cardinals. And this is a team that did not make a first round draft choice, Ben, because they traded that first round pick on draft night for Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, uh, Marquise Brown, four first round picks in this draft were traded for veteran wide receivers. I just kind of think that's a, an interesting phenomenon. Honestly, we are obviously we saw one here in Philadelphia with AJ Brown, 
but just thoughts overall and Marquise Brown ending up in Arizona, obviously Deandre Hopkins uh, reportedly suspended for the first six games of the season. So I would think that the, the that acquisition had something to do with that. I mean, it's an exciting off season. I mean, as much as the quarterbacks and Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson on the move, these receivers really stole the show at Devonte Adams, Tyree kill, AJ Brown, Marquise Brown getting moved on draft night, night one there, but the Arizona Cardinals, that's the basketball team on grass in the NFL. They love their 10 personnel sets, their four receiver sets. They want speed and athleticism on the perimeter, and there is no shortage of it. A.J. Green is getting up there. They want to work in Rondell Moore. No more Christian Kirk. DeAndre Hopkins dealing with a suspension now in early 2022. They had a need for receiver. So pairing Marquise Brown, I'm sure he got the full endorsement from Kyler Murray, one of his good friends and college quarterback, to add to that offense. And anytime you can find a receiver with two, three, four years of experience and maturation in this league, that may make them feel better about getting him on the field and not having that developmental learning curve with a potential rookie receiver. Some rookies can come right on and produce. Some take a a day or two, a year or two, you know, a season or two. So Marquise Brown is going to be a guy that can come right in, contribute right away. So I think they had a need there and there was a relationship with the quarterback. I think uh, everyone's kind of happy. But when you talk about like surprise impact, someone who could shock us with what they do here as a rookie in year one, and you made the point about, you know, this is a team that historically has liked those spread formations. They played more 10 personnel than anybody. They like to spread people out. I kind of wonder if they, you know, you look at their, their first pick in this draft was tight end Trey McBride. You already have Zach Ertz there on the roster. You're going to dra- draft a, a tight end the second round with a veteran there already there installed. I wonder if we're going to see a lot more 12 personnel than we're used to seeing with Arizona. And if we start to see those two tight ends on the field more, and you, you lo- you'll talk about losing Christian Kirk, Hopkins already out for the first chunk of the season. Do we see more 12 personnel? Could we see more Trey McBride than maybe we would expect, uh, you know, after first glance at this selection? And Cliff did have a propensity of using 12 personnel in the past when all of his tight ends were healthy. This is not a two-back system. This is not somebody that plays a lot of pony or a fullback. They like their 12, and they like their receivers out there. So I think Zach Ertz and then Trey McBride are a really nice compliment. But I'm willing to kind of play those guys all over the place. I think Trey McBride can do a lot of different things for you, can maybe be a pseudo H-back type of weapon as well, not to mention his ability to block in the run game. I don't see Trey McBride coming off the field a whole lot. And then Zach Ertz, his athleticism in the pass game, a lot, a lot of interesting weapons. Now I just want to see their philosophical approach. Like you had said, we're going to beef up and run the ball a little bit more. We're just going to keep spreading it out. I really want to see that their kind of offensive attack uh, into Kyler Murray's now fourth year in the NFL. When you look at their day three picks and they made a handful here. So you got two, two picks in round six, three picks in round seven. When you look at those five selections, who's got the highest floor? Who's the guy that you're like, I could see this guy making an impact early just because we kind of know what he brings to the table. You know, and I don't think this is going to come with an exceptionally high ceiling, but I think you know what you're getting with Jesse Lucchetta, who they took out of Penn State in the seventh round. A guy that plays extremely hard, his hair on fire, relentless, good special teamer, plays very well in space versatile player and he's played some Mike, some Will, some Sam, some defensive end, some sub rushing stuff. And at the end of the day, he's going to play some special teams for you. And how about those third down packages from Vance Joseph, where they just like loading the line of scrimmage with five, six, sometimes seven athletic pass rushers. And they just like to walk them around. And we've seen the Tanner Viejos and uh, you know, the Dennis Gardex and those guys come on onto the field and rush the passer from all over the place. 
That could be Jesse Lucchetta. You may only see him on third and five plus and special teams, but I think you're going to get a really strong football player, a guy you know what you're getting. That means it's a high floor type of pick. Jace may not come with that exceptionally high ceiling as well. I kind of wonder, you know, and this is almost like the, it's not necessarily the player that I feel like is high floor. Cause I feel like this is a ceiling play. This is a ceiling selection, but I feel like the, the opportunity is there for you to say like, all right, like I feel good about this guy's chances to make the roster. And that's that first day three selection running back Keontae Ingram from USC. He was a big time recruit, went to Texas. It, it, well, you know, he had some success there, but ultimately ended up transferring out uh, when the new staff got there, got to USC and had a solid season. It wasn't a great USC offense, especially after Drake London and Keaton Slovis got hurt. So I think when you look at Ingram, uh, this is a guy that can come in Look, they, they lost a couple, two of their top four backs from last year. And so there are, are carries to be had uh, for an offense behind James Conner, who has had some injury issues himself uh, over the course of his career, right? So I look at Keontae Ingram and say, like, this is a guy that has a pretty good shot at making this roster. So that, that's a, a name I would keep an, uh, keep an eye on there in terms of having uh, that year one impact. Uh, for me, just kind of big picture. This is a team like, you know, and I'll try and be more cognizant of doing this as we go through every stage of the process, Ben. But in a few weeks, we're going to start our previews of 2023 and we're going to start looking at this fall and we're going to start with our conference previews. And that first episode we do is all the players outside of the power five conferences. And then we'll do the power of the, each preview of each conference individually. No fan base should be paying more attention to our outside the power five conference preview than the Arizona Cardinals. You just look at, even just look at this draft. When you look at what they did on day two, Trey McBride, Cam Thomas, Majay Sanders, all three from outside the top, outside the power five. When you look at who they select in the, over the course of Steve Kimes tenure there in, uh, in Arizona, it is just littered with small school players. I mean, just outside of the fact that they took Hassan Reddick in round one, right. A few years ago. And I just went through who they did in, in on day two in this draft, since he's been there on day three, Morgan state Fordham, Grambling, Midwestern State, Harvard, Southeast Louisiana, Northern Iowa, Delaware State, Pittsburgh State, Murray State, Valdosta State, right? So literally, and the Valdosta State was just this year. When you're looking at this team, they are willing to take chances on those small school players, and, and that continued here uh, this year. So that's just one big takeaway from the Arizona Cardinals. Let's now go to the uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Ben, this is a team that uh, you know all eyes kind of were on coming in. Obviously, they did not have a first-round pick. They traded it to Miami in the uh, the, the deal to, to get Trey Lance. So uh, they did not have a first-round pick here in this one. But they go to round two, and they take pass rusher Drake Jackson from USC, 61 overall. What did you think of the, the Drake Jackson pick? Why do you think he was the selection for the 49ers? Well, I feel like the 49ers are never shy about adding high-level prospects and talent to the defensive line room, particularly with high – draft capital as they have in the past with Kinlaw and Armstead and Bosa um, and guys like that. So I think adding Drake Jackson to that room, but at the end of the day, Fran, I think the San Francisco 49ers think Drake Jackson's a much higher level prospect than the consensus. That USC program was all over the place in his time there. He really flashed some high level ability and left you disappointed in certain weeks. And that was really their entire program from top to bottom. So Drake Jackson in a vacuum, I think the San Francisco 49ers had him graded much higher than a lot of other teams and maybe some media members. So I think adding the, you know, a defensive line prospect like that to the room is what you want to do with that second round pick there. 
It's funny because when I when I saw that he was the pick on on the Friday night of the draft, it's almost like when the Eagles select an offensive lineman, when the the Pittsburgh Steelers select a wide receiver, when uh, when one of these teams select a position, we're like, man, they just have they've had so much success uh, at pinpointing these kind of players and you know the the high upside swings and hitting. I feel like the last two or three years in particular, San Francisco has had a lot of uh, a lot of luck with kind of uh, getting the most out of their pass rushers. And so when I look at Drake Jackson ending up there, that gives me a little bit more faith that he could kind of hit that ceiling. So that's that's a fun one uh, to kind of project. When you talk about young players uh, now joining this team, is there a, a favorite role projection that you have? And you look at their selections. Is there a guy who's you can say like, all right, year one, I could see the role he could play in this offense or on this defense from day one, right out, right out of the gate. I think that's going to be SMU receiver, Danny Gray, who they took in the third round. Another guy that was maybe higher than consensus, but absolute track speed coming out of SMU out there. I think he's going to be a great downfield weapon for the offense. They love to obviously run the football with that Kyle Shanahan offense and take their play action shot plays down the field. Last few years, their downfield targets, pretty much Debo and George Kittle. They need somebody else to kind of, be that complimentative skill set now that Debo is literally doing everything for that offense and hopefully doing more for him in 2022 here as the relationship is a little uh, stretched at the moment. But Danny Gray at the very end of the day, just be that downfield shot play weapon that we've seen from Kyle Shanahan at nearly every stop, whether you're Taylor Gabriel or Travis Benjamin and guys like that, there's a place for the undersized speedster in his offense. What's your take on Tyrion Davis Price ending up there? Because I kind of look at it a couple full. Obviously, look, Elijah Mitchell had, a, had plenty of success last year as a rookie, but he, he's a different package. He's a little bit smaller. He's already dealing with some uh, some uh, durability issues, right? Uh, that already coming off of his rookie season. I almost look at Tyrion Davis Price not just there, but also like you think of some of the things they did with Debo Samuel last year in the backfield. And you say, all right, like if you could, if you're just going to have you know line up in the shotgun next to the quarterback and run outside zone give that ball to Tyrion Davis-Price. Like, this is a guy who's got that same thick lower half, ability to put his foot in the ground and get downhill or and the speed to get to the perimeter. I think he's got a role uh, early on in this offense. You know, and Elijah Mitchell has some really great vision. And, you know, when they put Debo back there, he has some playmaking ability. Tyrion Davis-Price is the no-nonsense guy. I think in the outside zone and the mid zone game, he's going to put his foot in the ground and be a one cut guy. Yeah. But then he can also really do a lot of gap scheme stuff, which he did at LSU quite a bit and really wear down defenses and then bring him back in out of the bullpen in the fourth quarter type of guy. I think he really has a nice skill set to maybe take some of that pounding off a of Debo and maybe take some of that kind of, you know, uh, you know, snaps and play time from Elijah Mitchell and just a little bit of a different style. So I'm looking at Trey Sermon there that they took in the third round last year as those two kind of battling for that RB2 job. Yeah, and you mentioned him doing a little bit more of the gap scheme stuff as well. I mean, it's Kyle Shanahan, they've used a little bit more of the gap scheme stuff over the years. It's not just inside-outside zone. You'll see them mix in, especially counter, uh, start to run some of those. And I, I feel like Tyrion Davis-Price could be a really good fit there. When you talk about day three ceiling with this group, I, I'm kind of looking around, uh, and they, t- they took a bunch of players uh, on day three in this draft. This was a tough one for me. Uh, like uh, on one on one end, I could say like Nick Sakel, and you could say like okay, like uh, that the tackle from Fordham they took in the sixth round. He had a really rough week down there in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, um, but the athleticism is there. I think that there are some traits that you can work with. I've been a big fan of three Castro Fields, Ben. Um, I don't know that I would say like he's the high ceiling play. If we were talking floor, I feel like he's the high floor guy. I don't know. Well, where's your head at? Uh, we talk about high ceiling for these day three selections. Well, this guy flashed a little bit as I was watching Tyson Anderson at Toledo. 
And that was that corner nickel hybrid player, Samuel Womack, who surprised some people with them being uh, with him selected in the fifth round ahead of Penn State's, you know, Tariq Castro Fields. This guy was 5'9", 189, ran sub 4'4", with an absolutely blazing 10-yard split at 154. Incredible three-cone. He's played some corner, some safety. I think he's a shoe-in to be a nice slot defender, that nickel defender for them. Has to beat out Emmanuel Mosley right now on the depth chart. Also, 500-plus special team snaps. Has some really high-level athletic ability, some toughness, some positional versatility. Played at Toledo. Let's get some NFL coaching kind of uh, onto his back and into his pedigree. I really think Samuel Womack's best football might be ahead of him. Yeah, one of the few uh, outside the Power Five selections that they have made. I mean, they they have primarily been a big school operation. We talked about this when they had the number three pick last year. Was why you know some people may think that it was going to be Mac Jones because they have rarely gone outside the Power Five. Obviously, they decide to go that route uh, with Trey Lance here from the FCS level. But uh, typically, when you see this this organization, they go heavy with seniors from big schools that are tough and aren't bad athletes. And if you say like, okay, like that's your template, that's not a bad template. That's not a bad sandbox uh, to play in. So I think ultimately that's typically what the trend is with the 49ers uh, since John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have been there together. Yeah, a bit of a countering trend in the middle there going with a UTSA and a Fordham and a Toledo yep. there and then getting back to the Penn States and the yes. big uh, the big schools. Yeah, they typically <laughs> that has not been the trend for them lately and so it was interesting that they did that uh here in this draft. Let's now go to the Rams, the last team here in the NFC West who didn't have a first this round pick. Shouldn't take us too long here. Yeah, it didn't have a second round pick. We know <laughs> how they feel about them picks, but it's funny like obviously that's been a that's been a big slogan for them the, throughout the course of this entire offseason no team drafts more than the Rams. Like they just collect all the, the picks in the, on day three, when you have all the comp picks and, and all the picks they get from, uh, via trade, they always end up with a boatload of picks. It's just that they don't happen until rounds four through seven. Uh, that said, third round, uh, one of the compensatory picks, they end up with Logan Bruss, the offensive line from Wisconsin. Uh, in your mind, why was he the pick? They've had some success uh, from that school uh, up front on the, the offensive line. Yeah, as it sets right now, they're they're slated to start three offensive linemen from Wisconsin with David uh, Edwards at left guard, Logan Bruss could be the right guard, and Rob Havenstein at right tackle. I think obviously the offensive line is the kind of the weak link of this entire roster at the moment. No more Andrew Whitworth and some yeah. guys like that. So having to address the offensive line and retooling them, I think is really important. But to take this just a step back. This is not a team that has just bought their players and has just bought their roster. It's a complementative and really a balanced way of building the roster. It just so happens there's some high-profile moves that they took away some high-profile draft yep. picks. But, you know, the mid-round picks, the Cooper Cups and Van Jeffersons and Brian Allens and David Edwards. And, I mean, Rob Havenstein was a second-round pick in 2015. That guy's played tons of football for the Rams. He's played in multiple Super Bowls for the Rams. That guy never gets his name called. There are actual homegrown draft picks up and down this roster that are high level contributors. So it's not just say they bought all these free agents and they don't draft anyone and you know, wow. anyone in the draft doesn't contribute. That really isn't the case. Yep. And I'm being a little facetious with it, but you know, it's really much more of a balanced roster than I think the, the headlines would suggest. So I've got a tough question for you because we were talked about doing some different categories. And one of the categories we wanted to hit on this week was uh, potential position battle that guys that I've set up in the draft. This is a team that did not have <clears throat> a top, you know, hundred pick basically when you don't have that, it's tough to say, Oh yeah, this guy's going to come in and, and fight for a starting job right away. That said, is there a potential position battle on camp that you kind of feel like sets up with one of these rookies? 
Yeah, I think there's going to be two fun ones, particularly the third down running back role. Yep. Tyron Williams, they took in the fifth round. He's going to have to compete with Xavier Jones and Raymond Calais. Now, I know Xavier Jones and Raymond Calais may not excite you with the name. These guys have been in the league now for two, three years. They understand things. Things are slowing down for them. So they're a step ahead. Kyron, obviously a much higher level prospect coming out of Notre Dame, but I think it's going to be an open season battle out there for that third down role, the pass catching role in that Rams offense. And the other one, look out for Dakobe Durant. Yes, that's the one I was going to go with. Man. The challenge, Troy Hill, who they yep. just brought back over from Cleveland, uh, who was in... He was on their team in 2020. He was on the Correct. That's, team. That's, yeah. That he was, was the, the connection. I know he, he bounced around and yeah. bounced back. He, he was there and left uh, when Brandon Staley was there. He was the defensive coordinator. He left in free agency for a big contract with Cleveland. Cleveland took uh, the the corner this year. Um, who did they, they just drafted Martin Emerson. And so, so they just had this glut of corners, and so they traded him back to the Rams. Correct. But, you know, yeah, I know they made the trade and I do not know the compensation or the, you know, the implications of the comp- uh, compensation of the contract. But look out for Dakobe Durant to really challenge for some playtime out of South Carolina State. He is small, but he is feisty and he will play in this league for a long time. I love Dakobe Durant on film. Uh, he is a guy I absolutely keep an eye on. And, and look, the buster I- screen, the, you know, the Captain Munnerlin type. Don't count him out based on his size. If Cam Akers is fully healthy and if he is the three down back, Right. Like if he's the guy like, all right, he's he's going to be the workhorse and Darrell Henderson gets put down to to like third down back and specialty package back. I wouldn't be shocked if Kyron Williams eats into some of that package. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because I don't think that he's obviously not as dynamic as Darrell Henderson, but he is going right away. I mean, he might be the best pass protector day one on that in that backfield. Uh, So I kind of say like he's going to come in and play. So I wonder if he's going to eat into Henderson snaps a little bit. Again, if Akers is fully healthy coming off that Achilles from last year, uh, that would be just my big take on that, uh, that running back spot for them. Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at EaglesAutismChallenge.org. Let's now transition to the Denver Broncos, a team that did not have a first-round pick, but they did have their second, third, fourth-round selections after the Russell Wilson deal. Then their first pick in this draft, 32 overall in the second round, so 64th overall in the draft, pass rusher Nick Benito from Oklahoma. Uh, Ben, this is a player that many felt uh, could go earlier. This is the pick that they got from the Rams, ironically enough, uh, in the Von Miller trade, and they go out and they get an undersized pass rusher with a lot of speed off the edge. Yeah, an insanely productive player at Oklahoma in his three, four years there. And a little bit of a different mold than a lot of the pass rushing studs in the class. A little bit different than the Thibodeaus and the Jermaine Johnsons and the Eden Hutchinsons and Trayvon Walker. This guy's barely 230 pounds. He played sub 230 most of his career at Oklahoma, but was able to win by being a high side speed rusher, a QB spy, a guy that can play in space exceptionally well. And when you look at this Broncos front seven, there's some well-built guys in this front seven. There's some thick players. There's some no-nonsense types, some really good run defenders. I think you really need a more complementative playmaker in the front seven to the Bradley Chubb and the newly signed Randy Gregory, you know, at the all intents and purposes, the quarterback hunter spot. I think Benito is going to be a guy that's going to be able to sub rush for you and do some really creative stuff for that defense, whether it's blitzing from depth, 
playing in space or maybe a Sam linebacker role, being a, being a quarterback spy, or just finding ways to get him one-on-one because he is an exceptional, explosive one-on-one pass rusher. Broncos fans, you want to mold on who he could be? I think he's very close to a Brian Burns. Maybe not as loose, maybe not as deep of a pass rush arsenal, but that type of player. He He's built like Vaughn in terms of like the – like the short kind of rocked up frame, but he's really loose and athletic. Uh, it's going to be an interesting, uh, so like I'm interested to see how he develops. Yeah, not that. nearly as long as Brian Burns. Yeah, Ron yes. Miller would have been a more appar- uh, appropriate comp. I don't know why I wasn't thinking of that. Well, you're trying to, you try to think too outside the box sometimes. You got to get out of your own head, Fennel. All right, so let's get to the next category here. With pick that made you go, hmm. And again, this is just a pick that surprised us a little bit. I want to go to the third round, Ben. They selected UCLA tight end Greg Dulcich, uh, and not just the st- the selection because look, they traded Noah Fant in the Russell Wilson deal. You had Albert Albert Okwebunam, who has been you know semi productive when he's been given the opportunity there. Not only that, but then afterwards uh, with the the press conferences saying how excited they are about incorporating these both tight ends into the offense, how excited Russell Wilson is to work with the tight ends in this offense. Russell Wilson has not been a, a, a heavy producer to tight ends over the course of his career. He has been known more for working the perimeter and working outside vertically down the field, not necessarily working between the hashes down the seam to all the different tight ends that they've brought in. So I kind of wonder for you looking, I mean, you know, this offensive scheme pretty well, you know, with Hackett coming from green Bay, do you feel like uh, this is kind of an interesting fit in terms of the you know having these two long, lean, athletic tight ends that can get down the seam in this offense? Yeah, I think it's a good fit. You know, they very much embody the Robert Tunyon type of role coming from Green Bay, who is a double-digit touchdown guy just two years ago, and they love to stretch down the seam and work in the pass game. But Nathaniel Hackett wants that true wide tight end that's never coming off the field, that doesn't get a lot of glory. That's the Mercedes Lewis type of role. He's going to block his butt off in the run game, pass protect a lot on the shot plays. I'm not sure if that guy's even on the roster right now. He may not be for this year. That's a hard position to find and fill. There's only so many that can do that type of role for you at an NFL level week in and week out. So they may just be looking to add more weapons around Russell Wilson and just attack in the pass game. And they have a nice stable of tight ends. Is it what Nathaniel Hack and the offense typically go with? Not usually, but. There are a lot of exciting weapons on this offense for him. All right, well, let's get into uh, these day three selections. A player that we feel uh, could play the most snaps as a rookie uh, for this group here on day three, and they have a bunch of them. I mean, two, two fours, three fives, a six, and a seven. So a bunch of opportunity here for these rookies in terms of uh, someone we can go with. For me, I'm going to go to the sixth round. Matt Henningsen, uh, the nose tackle from Wisconsin, I feel like is a guy that could come in. When you look at that depth chart, who's a guy that can come in, stick, and, and play a role early? I would look at Henningsen, who did not get a combine invite, um, but was at the Shrine Bowl. I thought his film was really good. I, I thought this was a draftable player all the way, uh, and this is a guy I think that has that ability to not just get after the quarterback a little bit, but he's going to stop the run at a really high clip. Uh, I would watch out for Henningsen to come in and, and play a role early on as a rookie. And reminded me a lot of like a Shelby Harris, who's now gone in free agency, who played a lot of good football for him and maybe an era previous. Remember the way Garrett Wolf showed up for that defensive mm, line? Nice. A straight, no nonsense type, kind of beat the heck out of you at the point of attack. Really good run defender. It's going to be the sexiest guy on third down rushing the passer. Probably not. But you know what you're getting with Matt Henningsen. And they need players in the trenches to play the run on early downs. And looking at this front seven, I see some playtime and some snaps to be had. So look for big Matt Henningsen to be a major contributor this year for the Broncos. 
I like it. All right, well, let's get to uh, uh, our next team here in the rundown, and that's the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, this is a team that another one that did not have a first-round pick. And so, uh, you know, again, a, a very uh, consistent theme with a lot of these teams that we've talked about here today. Obviously, they don't have one due to the trade for Devontae Adams. They didn't have a second-round pick. So you get to round three. Dylan Parham, the offensive lineman from Memphis, the first pick here for the, uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. Ben, what do you think here of Dylan Parham? Well, he's a nice player. He's a you know, real athletic piece out of Memphis after converting, uh, I believe, from tight end to eventually guard there at Memphis. So, yeah, it's really quick off the ball, good getting up to the second level. But we just need more stability and competition on the interior offensive line of this Raiders team. We need to figure out who is going to play in front of Derek Carr on a week-to-week basis. We don't want this revolving door at the center and the guard spot that seemingly uh, plagued them all last year with Leatherwood in and out of the lineup and John Simpson in and out, Andre James eventually – you know, uh, carved out that center role since converting from left tackle. A lot of moving parts on this line. So I think they just need some stability. They took Dylan Parham out of Memphis, third-round pick, with their first pick in the draft. And let's see if he can go steal that job from somebody. They have Jermaine Illuminae uh, back to compete as well. So at the end of the day, we need stability on this offensive line. I almost don't care who wins the job or loses the job. Let's just roll with five for multiple weeks in a row. I just want to see stability and consistency on this line. And Dylan Parham absolutely has an opportunity to steal one of those starting spots. And that's why that versatility is so, so important for him. And I totally agree. And, and a team that, you know, they're willing, when you look at <clears throat> this coaching staff and this front office, <clears throat> they've been w- very willing to to use players that are use offensive line and put those guys in early. If they've got that versatility to plug it, play, basically plug it where it leaks. And remember, New regime coming in here. We got new GMs, yep. new head coaches, new position coaches. There are no friends here. So as much as, you know, a guy may have started every game last year, I think it's open season competition at nearly every spot on the roster. And maybe Derek Carr and Devontae Adams have their spots carved out. But, you know, and Andre James, I know he played a lot of snaps at center last year for him. I'm not willing to say it's his job. That could be Dylan Parham for the future there at center. When you look at, I mean, six picks total for this team in this draft. So not a lot of options here to pick from, but who's the guy that you feel like could have a surprise impact from day one? Oh, you know where I'm going with this. It's fifth round pick Matthew Butler there out of Tennessee. I think can play some no shade for you and maybe be Hankins backup and then show some juice at three tech and get up after the passer. I think he has one of the better combo skill sets on this defensive front. They got Vernon Butler in free agency, Bilal Nichols in free agency. We'll see how those fits are. Jonathan Hankins is going to be that nose tackle on early downs. Matthew Butler has a lot of ability to contribute in both the run and the pass. Really good player at Tennessee. Some of his best tape against Alabama, Georgia, and some of the best offensive lines in the SEC. I think he's a heck of a football player, and I expect him to be on the field a lot and have a bunch of TFLs this season. So look out for big Matthew Butler. Yeah, he's a player. I mean, you plug him, him, and also Neil Farrell. Uh, Neil Farrell, you know, yep. I mean, the defensive tackle from the LSU. They took the round before in the fourth round. They're going to do some different things, obviously. Farrell more of a nose, Butler more of a pure three. But you mentioned the position versatility with both. I think they've got that ability to slide up and down the line. I would keep an eye on both guys there to be able to come in. And, and, and don't forget big Chandler Jones, now opposite of Max Crosby. Suddenly some fleet of foot, good first step edge rushers. What happens? quarterback stepping up right into the big guy. So I think Matthew Butler in combination with the Chandler Jones and some of those other pieces on the front seven, they needed to uh, obviously change the culture there on that front seven. They got some nice pieces this offseason. 
So we, we talked about a couple of day three selections. Is there another guy that kind of stands out to you as like, oh, this guy's got a high floor uh, from this group of day three picks? Uh, I mean, I'll, really, we were talking two other guys. Thayer Munford, the offensive lineman from Ohio State. He's played some tackle and guard. And then Britton Brown, the running back from UCLA. Yeah, some nice pieces there. You know, even some undrafted guys, I think, have a chance to maybe carve out some roles. I like Sincere McCormick out of UTSA. Uh, but the guy you had mentioned a few minutes ago, Neil Farrell. I think is a clone to Jonathan Hankins. I think all he has to do is focus on being Hankins backup when he needs a blow or that second unit comes in, just be that nose tackle, one tech run plugger and get off the field on third down. So I think Neil Farrell, look at how Jonathan Hankins shows up to work, practices, goes onto the field, embody that and just do everything you can to be his backup for 2022. All right, let's get to the, uh, the next team here. And that's the LA chargers, two teams left here in the AFC West. First pick, uh, they end up going along the offensive line. They take Zion Johnson. And we, we weren't really counting this as a potential need. We, we didn't, well, we didn't take into account. This is why we always talk about how important versatility is for the offensive line. The ability to slide Matt Filer out to offensive tackle. Zion Johnson can step in and start right away at guard. But, uh, Ben, uh, thoughts on Zion Johnson being the pick here? They go best player available, and they're going to make it work up front with their best five. Yeah, it's an exciting pick for them. I think uh, everybody on the offensive side and adding another high-level player to the offensive line in front of their franchise quarterback, Justin Herbert, should excite you know everyone in that building and the fan base. So Zion Johnson, I think, is going to be a day-one right guard next to Corey Lindsley. We'll see what happens at the right tackle spot with a couple guys competing there. I'm also not willing to say Zion maybe won't slide out to tackle. You know, it's, they, I think that whole kind of right side can be boggled with uh, – Brendan Hymes as well. They took in the fifth round last year, played quite a bit. So Zion Johnson, I think, is a great piece to improve that offensive line. So many people thought they were going to go receiver and add some speed to that receiver room. They didn't draft any receivers, Fran. In fact, only brought in one undrafted receiver. So that's a kind of a, hey, we feel okay. You guys are the ones with the problem on the outside. So adding guys in the trenches should help everybody keep Herbert upright. And they got plenty of speed and Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and guys like that. They definitely did. Oh, when we talk about the rest of these rookies here and the rest of this class, is there a guy where you're like, all right, I, I like kind of projecting this guy's role forward? Is that where you say, like, all right, on offense or defense, knowing what we know right now about their schemes, where you're like, yeah, like I could see this guy coming in and playing a role early on. Is there a guy that stands out to you? Yeah, it's Isaiah Spiller. They got in the fourth round. A lot of people had as a top five running back in this class. And I just think his size, his fumbling, really caught up with him last year. I want to see Isaiah Spiller be that kind of bell cow, that thunder on early downs, wear down defenses, and let Eckler be the change of pace guy, the combo back on third down, the scat back like that. And you just see all the great pairs in the NFL. They have that thunder and lightning combination. I really thought they missed that last year in that Chargers offense, not only to take pressure off of Herbert with the run game, but just wear down opposing defenses. And I really think Isaiah Spiller has played a lot of good football in a high-level conference for Texas A&M. It's going to be a really good-looking piece for that Chargers offense. I expect him to be all over fantasy teams uh, by halfway through the season. I was going to ask you, like, from a fantasy standpoint, because I know that he's, like, one of the hot names to talk about is, like, you know, because people were so high on him pre-draft, he falls to the fourth round, and so uh, people are like, all right, well, you know, can we kind of cool off on his buzz? But that hasn't really affected his buzz when you look at, like, fantasy drafts right now. I'm wondering, like, what what do you think the role is if Eckler is healthy? Because we know, like, all right, if, if Eckler gets hurt, it feels like he steps right in. He He's kind of the handcuff. He's the the, the three-down backup. But if Eckler's on the field, you feel like he still has a, a little bit of a role there? 
I do. And I think, you know, kind of thinking of how Joe Lombardi came from the Saints and the way he always paired Alvin Kamara with somebody to take the workload, whether it was the Mark Ingrams of the world and, you know, guys that can run between the tackles on early down. And then let Eckler be that kind of gadget and that chess piece in the offense and really more of a pass game weapon and a perimeter satellite back than a guy you want running the ball on first and second down. I can absolutely see Isaiah Spiller being a 150, 200 carry guy for this offense. Take pressure off the quarterback. Take your shots off play action. Running the football is okay with a Justin Herbert. It's just going to make his life easier. And the more you have running backs that can bang and have the body armor to survive in the NFL, like an Isaiah Spiller at nearly 230 pounds. I love that proposition for the offense. So take some pressure off of Herbert, take some pressure off of Eckler. Perfect pick in my opinion. All right, well, let's uh, stay here on day three. And for me, just talking about like a high ceiling play, uh, I want to go to UCLA defensive tackle Otito Ogbonia, who the team selected there in round five. Uh, this is a guy who's got a little bit more range than you would expect for a nose tackle. He's got the ability to make plays outside the numbers. He's got some straight line juice. He got recruited by a previous staff, so he's not just your uh, kind of line of line of scrimmage dweller, hold up at the point of attack and not offer a ton of juice. He's got a little bit of that giddy up. So uh, I think I look at Ogbonia as a player that has that ability to be a little bit more than what he's been pigeonholed by from a narrative standpoint. He'd be a guy I'd watch here uh, moving forward in terms of a high ceiling play for this team on day three. Uh, is there anybody that kind of fits that bill for you? Yeah, I think that's a really good pick. Remember, you know, Linval Joseph is gone, so they can use that big, burly, you know, nose tackle, run plugger there. They got Sebastian Joseph Day from the Rams and free agency. He's a little bit more of the undersized defensive tackle. So you may see Abonia in the lineup more than yeah, it may suggest. Also, seventh round pick out of Purdue. Do not sleep on Xander Horforth. Really fun player. A lot of people have called the Kyle Juszczyk in this draft. He can do a lot of different stuff for you. He kind of looks like a burly fullback. He is very athletic. He can catch the ball. He'll block for you. He can take some handoffs. Don't sleep on the seventh round pick wearing ugly 45 and he looks like a fullback. He may have some more ability uh, than he's his profile may suggest. Yeah, that's the team that look they're they're willing to take chances on unique players, guys with like fun skill sets, and uh, you know even if they're it's like oh this guy can only do this one thing, he can do it really well. They're they're willing to take shots on, and that's that's not even just like a Brandon Staley thing. If you look back over the course uh, of Tom Telesco's career, he's always taken chances on guys that have kind of unique skill sets and unique backgrounds. So uh, keep an eye on there uh, with Horvath. Uh, last team here, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, top choice. They they made two picks here in the first round after the trade. Uh, trading away of Tyree Kill. But let's talk through Trent McDuffie. They traded up to take Trent McDuffie. They also t- uh, selected uh, Purdue defensive lineman George Karloftis. So uh, this very easily could have been a, a pair of picks that the Eagles could have ended up with here. Two players we talked a lot about for Eagles mock drafts over the course of, uh, of the entire spring, Ben. But when you look about the trade up for McDuffie, obviously this is a team that plays a ton of man coverage. What do you think about that? Because he did not play a ton of man at Washington, and he, it's going to be a lot different here for, uh, for them in the AFC West. Well, I wasn't so concerned necessarily about the man zone and the coverage style and scheme, but just the versatility, because this is a back end that lost Daniel Sorensen and lost Tyron Matthew and lost Mike Hughes and lost Chark Ward. Those are four guys that played a lot of different roles. And those guys can play in the nickel. They can play some safety. A lot of these guys can play corner for him too. Tyron Matthew did so many different things. Sorensen and kind of his safety linebacker hybrid skill set. Those are all just secondary guys. 
So I think getting a tough presence in Trent McDuffie that can play outside corner, can slide in and play that nickel if you need him to, can play some zone, can play man, really high-level athlete. You had to go back to the defensive back room and recharge. I know they got Justin Reed in free agency, great pick. Glad they got Brian Cook in round two, another guy to that secondary. But you had to replenish a lot of these losses, and I thought Trent McDuffie was the start of that in this draft. When you talk about players that could come in and contribute early on and, and have a chance to fight for playing time, I mean, George Karloff doesn't feel like he, he's going to play early. You know, they just you know, look at that defensive front. I don't know even even know if there's going to be like too much of a position battle there. I feel like Karloff he's in line to play a lot. But one guy for me that I'm like, all right, like where's the position battle to watch in camp? Two new players that they brought in, one via free agency, Jermaine Carter at Sam Linebacker with Leo Chennal, the third rounder from Wisconsin. I feel like those two guys at Sam Linebacker, they drafted Nick Bolton in the second round last year. He has been a stud so far. They drafted Willie Gay in the second round a couple years ago, and he's still kind of finding his footing, missed most of his rookie year, so we'll see what he looks like here this summer. But at strong side linebacker, when they want to go play base or when they want to get into some of these unique packages – Carter and Chanel, uh, that's an interesting battle there. I think two guys that have very, very similar skill sets. Yeah, I really want to see how Brian Cook fits into this, who he needs to compete with to get play time, if he's going to be a starter next to Justin Reed, if it's going to be Reed and Thornhill and Cook is just that third safety. But they clearly need to hit reset on replacing a lot of those losses in the secondary. One position battle I'm excited for, I think this right tackle spot is open season. I see Andrew Wiley, Lucas Niang as the incumbents. Look out for Darian Kennard there. Played a lot of good right tackle there for the Kentucky Wildcats. Good week down in Mobile. Massive presence that maybe isn't for everybody. The Chiefs are okay with it. They have Orlando Brown on the left side. I know a lot of people thought Kennard is a shoe-in fit to slide into guard. This is a team with two pretty good guards and Joe Thune and Trey Smith at the moment. So they took Kennard in the fifth round. I see him competing at right tackle, and it would not surprise me to see Big Kennard as the starting day one right tackle to start the season this year. But I think it's going to be a real fun battle in camp, and I think it's anyone's job. Yeah, Kennard for me was my pick for the guy with the day three ceiling as somebody that just had, you know, to me when looking at all their selections around four through seven, I just felt like has that ability to, if he hits, he's going to hit in a big, big way. And so for me, uh, Kennard was my pick for a day three ceiling. Did you have anybody uh, that kind of fit that bill for you or was that? uh, Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco out of Rutgers, seventh round pick. He runs as hard as anyone in this class, maybe not super creative or super elusive, but a no nonsense guy. Look at this running back room, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Then I'm drawing a line under him. I see Ronald Jones, Derek Gore, Jerry and Ely, an undrafted guy. I don't see any reason why Isaiah Pacheco can't be running back two to start this season right behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I think they want to kind of manage his workload, keep him healthy for the whole season. And I could see Pacheco really being a nice change of pace and a kind of a guy to take some workload carries off of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, for me, just and then also just because I, I agree everything with what you just said. It's funny because Pacheco, he kind of fits what they have been traditionally since Brett Feach has taken over uh, in Kansas City, which, you know, size, not a big deal. We love speed, 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 speed across the board. Guys that test really well, guys that run really, really well uh, on the field and on the track. But then when I look at the rest of this draft, it's kind of interesting. It feels like a little bit of a deterrence away from that. When you look at 
uh, Trent McDuffie. What have we said about McDuffie the whole time? Oh, you know, not super sexy. He's not the fastest. He's not the biggest, but he's just a really good football player. George Karloftis, not the most explosive, not the bendy guy, but he's a really good football player. Brian Cook, really good football player. Leo Chanel, good football player. Darren Kennard, he's not a sexy dancing bear, but good football player. And that's that was kind of my themes walking away from this one is just a, a little bit different than what we've seen in, in Chiefs drafts uh, of the last few years. Uh, you know, Sky Moore is a guy that, uh, you know, typically when they go outside the power five, it's for guys that are uber productive. And Sky Moore uh, has been very, very productive. Uh, they also went down to Fayetteville State for Joshua Williams, the corner uh, out down there. It's a supersized corner um, that, you know, he also had some production uh, this past year as a senior. So uh, that's just been kind of interesting in that, you know, the, typically they've been okay with taking the big swings. But I kind of wonder if they're like, all right, we need this, we need this draft. We had a, bu- yeah, a ton of picks here in this draft. Let's just go and get football players, guys that can come in and contribute early on. It feels like that was a goal for them in this draft. Yeah, absolutely. They've always lent to be a little bit more traits-based drafters, and this Chiefs team is ready to win right now. They have some holes heading into the offseason and lost some players in free agency. They aren't rolling over for a season. They want to retool and get guys that are ready to plug and play, and that's what I see with a lot of those players. Karlaftis, Chanel, you know, Darian Kennard, Brian Cook, Fran, those guys are ready to play tomorrow. No doubt. Uh, and that's why that really stood out to me, just kind of looking at this draft as a whole. Where Ben, uh, we'll be back next week is our last one uh, in terms of uh, our draft recaps here for 2022. We'll put this class to bed and we'll uh, start with big picture topics. But uh, thanks once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. We will talk to you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Good stuff there from Ben. A couple questions here from you guys at home. We're going to start with Bear Cub Fan, who said, uh, I listen to this podcast all year round. Love the in-depth draft coverage. As a Chicago Bears fan, while we didn't get much help for Justin Fields with early round ride receivers and offensive line, what do you think of the Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker selection? So, uh, Bear Cub Fan, appreciate the comment. Appreciate the question. Thank you so much for the five-star rating over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, with Kyler Gordon, look, this is a player that uh, I know they were big. They were very, very high on Kyler Gordon. They were surprised that he was there, uh, a player that they saw as a first-round talent. So certainly too good to pass up in that situation. Very athletic. He's versatile. He's played all three positions uh, at the cornerback spot in that Washington secondary. He really improved this year, though. And this was the first year where he really held on to that starting job from start to finish. Uh, He was much improved as a tackler. He showed that ability to finish on the football down the field. So you're betting on the come. His most consistent, most productive football could be ahead of him. He's not a finish product, but there is a lot to work with there and a high upside swing at a priority position in round two. That's not a bad way to go if you're trying to build a team up and try obviously a team that has a lot of needs on both sides of the football. The defense certainly needed to add some blue chip pieces and they believe that Kyler Gordon can be one of those blue chip pieces. And same thing can be said for Jaquan Brisker. We talked a lot about Brisker throughout the course of the pre-draft process. This is a guy that you just start checking boxes. Really good round run defender. Just so sound, very willing, really reliable uh, in terms terms of being a tackler one-on-one he can play in the box he can come downhill and play from depth top down and be a reliable player in the alley so I think when you look at Jaquan Brisker run defense not an issue he's a former corner uh, playing in high school and junior college so uh, made the move to safety he's got some of those coverage chops I wouldn't say like he's an a-plus athlete he's honestly it's very it's almost like the the opposite of Kyler Gordon where Gordon he's like dripping with traits and you just want him to kind of make sure he kind of figures it out with Brisker I don't know that his tra- his traits aren't bad. His traits are just like 
pretty good uh, across the board. If he had Kyler Gordon's traits, Brisker's going in round one. And, and so I think that's what you're looking at with Brisker is that he is just a really, really tough, physical, high-character player uh, and also gives you that co those coverage chops. He'll be a great fit in that system that they're installing there in Chicago. So great stuff there from Bear Cub fan. Hope you enjoyed uh, that analysis. And then also just wanted to give a shout-out to Bro Jim. So left a five-star review just saying how much they love the podcast and the analysis here on the show. So thanks so much to Bro Jims and to Bear Cub Fan. Thanks to you both. And we'll talk to uh, everybody here next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.